0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Victor's Corner, and this is Tuesday, November 17, twenty twenty. I am your host, Victor Amoyo, one half of the Codex Prime podcast, and I and I am here once again, just holding it down uh, once again. Um, as you know, uh, my co-host Carl Bird is on a hiatus for the next couple of months, so that so that way I'll be here, uh, just you know, just bringing that uh, nerd, good that nerd goodness and magic, if you will, uh, to the proceedings. Um, right now, I'm just speaking into an empty void, you know, just, uh, you know, I don't see anybody in the comments, but that's cool. Um, if you happen to be watching right now, um, I'm speaking to you directly. So thank you for joining me on this here uh, endeavor. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll get into a few things uh, tonight. Um, I do have a couple of film reviews. Um, that I'd like to share uh, two interesting horror films, which are both available on Netflix and Hulu. Um, I also I' also I'll also get into uh, some criterions that I've purchased uh, since Barnes and Noble is delivering their annual criterion sale uh, for the month of November, and I do have another Codex retrospective feature for y'all. So um, You know, a few things to get into uh, before we get into the uh, the film reviews, um, you know, just a few things of what I've been up to, you know, just pretty much, uh, you know, besides working and, you know, just, you know, trying to make that dollar. Um, I've also I'm also catching up with the New Japan Pro Wrestling's uh, World Tag League and the Best of Super Juniors tournament Um, since uh, because of the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, New Japan, they went they went uh for four straight months without providing any new shows until um this past summer so um because of that the world tag league and the best of super juniors which are normally held in the earlier portion of the year uh they both got moved uh uh to, uh, to this to the the tail end of 2020 so we have two tournaments at new japan uh, both run, running co uh, co concurrently, concurrently uh with each other um it's, it's, it's an interesting mix um, with the World Tag League. We have we have some interesting uh, picks. Uh, we have seen the return of G O D, Gorillas of Destiny, Tama Tonga, and Tonga Loa. Although I will say that it's absolutely weird seeing Tama Tonga clean shaven and he has like a you know crew cut fade. So it's weird seeing Tama Tonga with with short hair and no facial hair whatsoever. It's like he's like the he's like the good baby-faced bad guy right now because his moniker is the good bad guy so it's a it, it, it took a little getting used to It was kind of kind of similar to seeing Shawn michaels without hair uh for the first time um but you know god they came in and uh you know they're they actually won one match um, but they lost their uh, first match in the tournament against the uh, previous winners the 2019 winners of the World Tag League uh Juice Robinson and David Finlay also known as Finjuice so Finjuice you know they they have a good shot of you know of reclaiming their uh reclaiming their uh their their prize you know because they they are the they are the defending uh World Tag League champs so they might do they might pull a consecutive win much like Evelyn Sonata did in 2018 and 2017, so we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how they progress. Um, God, like I said, um, they'll probably they have a good shot of winning too. Although, don't forget that the current IWGP Tag Team Champions, the Dangerous techers, Tai Chi and Zack Saber Jr., are also uh, competing in this tournament. So they also have a really good shot. A, a shot. Of winning this whole a uh, World Tag League tournament so it's gonna be interesting to see who pulls out the win um, another interesting team I see is uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi and uh, Toa Hanare um, they they, they kind of have a rough start going um, you know the tournament hasn't really con- gone their way as of yet but hopefully they'll find their footing um, but yeah that's one that's one tournament going on um and i see carl he's in the chat uh uh, commenting via codex prime podcast he says "Tomo looks like he went to high school with us yo (laughs) that is absolutely true carl um because like when i was when i was looking at tamatanga you know with the the clean with the clean shaven look i'm like yo he looks you know what i'm gonna say he kind of if you squint your eyes a little he kind of looks like oscar cena you know, Oscar Cena, he's one of our, you know, uh, friends and acquaintances, you know, outside of the show. If you kind of squint your eyes, like, if you can imagine Oscar, you know, with like a crew cut high top fade, he, and he, he, he Tomatanga kind of looks like him. And, and and that kind of, and that kind of like, you know, rattled me a little. So you are absolutely right, Carl. Like, you could put Tomatonga in like, uh, in an assembly line with people that we went to high school with and he look he would fit right in looks wise so that's a good that's a good uh, uh comment there um but yeah but yes uh there's another tournament like i mentioned before the best of super juniors um this one is going to be pretty interesting because we have Hiromu takahashi who is my pick uh to win this whole tournament um I'm gonna I'm gonna go with her. I'm gonna go with him because uh, Hiromu Takahashi he's not only the ticking time bomb not only is he one of the best uh, cruiserweights in in New Japan Pro Wrestling but you know when you look at the lineup of other people in the tournament he I th- I think he has the best shot of winning I mean he's I mean he's had a he's had a really good showing earlier this year at wrestle at Wrestle Kingdom uh, when in his match against uh, Will Ospreay. And their match was like one of my favorite matches of 2020 so far. So, you know, I got to say he's my pick to win. He had a really good match with uh, Taiji Ishimori, uh, the bone soldier of Bullet Club. Um, And, you know, Taiji Ishimori, you know, don't sleep on him, too. You know, he does have a good shot of winning as well. Uh, But yeah, uh, Takahashi is my pick to win for this tournament. But we're going to have to wait and see uh, for the next uh, three weeks. <laughs> he kinda does. He kinda does, Carl. Tama does look like uh Harlos, uh Guerrero, another acquaintance and friend of ours outside of the show. But yeah, that's what I've been um uh that's what I'm catching up with um in in the in the wrestling front. Um speaking of wrestling as well, um no no doubt the biggest uh, news story uh this uh this week. Was a Zelina Vega being released or unceremoniously fired by WWE uh, because she supports unionization? Um, they tried to tell her to shut down her her Twitch account. She said no. She she went the OnlyFans route as well to get that extra supplementary income. WWE said we want to cut it. That she said no. They said I right, we're gonna fire you and that's that. Um, big ups to big ups to Zelina uh, uh, Vega. Or Thea Trinidad, her real name. Uh, big ups to, to Thea Trinidad for standing up, you know, for what she believes in, standing up for her own, her, her own work. Um, and also big ups to uh, the Screen Actors Guild for reaching out to her directly. And now that the Screen Actors Guild has uh, caught wind of this, of her firing and you know WWE's you know shady business practices, um, maybe, maybe we will see. Perhaps a professional wrestling branch eventually evolve in the Screen Actors Guild, because when you look at professional wrestlers, they are, you know, by and large, actors, actors of a very different breed, you know, you know, sports entertainment, you know, they put their bodies on the line, but they're playing characters, they're inhabiting roles, and it's only just it's completely valid to give them screen actors guild recognition so if there's a professional wrestling branch or or a uh, sports entertainment branch that can evolve eventually uh from from this whole situation then that would be great that would really help uh the wwe talent because until then until that happens or something similar happens or if there's like um until there's a creation of say a players association um among or a wrestlers association among among the talent then Vince McMahon is going to keep running roughshod, roughshod over them. You know, he's going to take their Twitch money. He's going to take their streaming money. And, and what are they really going to say if they're not going to stand up for themselves? Um, and, and, and if the big names on the roster, like your Roman Reigns is and your AJ Styles, if, and, and your Daniel Bryan's, if they're not going to stand up for themselves, then really this, this movement is not going to gain any traction. So hopefully, you know, um, we're going to start seeing some changes, you know, as, uh, as the next year rolls on, because you can't really continue uh, with, you know, treating your, treating your employees. And that's what they really are as so-called independent contractors. You know, you can't really call them independent contractors if, you know, any endeavor that, 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 that they do outside of WWE has to be kicked back, you know, monetarily to Vinnie Mac. That doesn't make any sense. Um, also another thing about another, uh, wrestling thing, uh, that I, that I caught wind of, and it's a, and it's a Carl's girl, Carl's boo, Nia Jax. Oh God. Another reason as if I needed an, another reason to dislike Nia Jax, the queen of botchamania. Apparently she's come out as essentially a COVID denier. Apparently, she said something on her Instagram story saying that, like, you know, uh, you know, there's there's recent news that, you know, Moderna, one of these pharmaceutical firms that uh, that is that is producing a covid vaccine that has so far uh, reached 99 uh, percent effectiveness. And they're also working with uh, working, you know, by themselves, but also Pfizer has a vaccine that's that's produced uh, 90 90 percent effectiveness rate. So apparently Nia Jax on her Instagram story, she posted like or retweeted something in which, which she said, um, you know, the, the COVID vaccine is 99% effective, but the flu vaccine is only 40% effective. Um, I'm going to trust my immune system, the one God gave me, as it's 99.9% effective. Excuse me. Hold on. Okay. First of all, first of all, Nia have a whole stadium full of seats have a whole thunderdome full of seats because quite frankly what you're saying makes absolutely no sense it's bad enough that you have a documented history of botching of injuring your co-workers left and right it's bad enough that your super fan carl bird willingly looks the other way because his whole deal with you is oh Naya Jax she's a big woman with a pretty face and I like big women with pretty faces so it doesn't matter if she botches it doesn't matter because I still love her I love her I love her listen you are part of the problem People like Nia Jax, with their shitty views, are part of the problem. They are part of the reason why the United States of America has handled this COVID epidemic terribly. Absolutely horrible. And embarrassingly, her views are part of the reason why we have over 240,000 Americans dead from this virus and counting. And quite frankly, having such views is inexcusable at this point. It's embarrassing. And quite frankly, if you happen to be a Nia Jax fan you should be embarrassed or, quite frankly, just keep it to yourself because it's, it's you know, it's amazing. It's amazing how much you can get away with when you're cousins with Rock the Dwayne Johnson. Hey, if I was cousins with Rock the Dwayne Johnson, I can get away with almost anything, I guess. And it also helps if you're in a company which happens to have a roster that's full of COVID deniers, apparently. Whether it's at the thund- whether it's at the Thunderdome or at the COVID Wrestling Center, I, I mean, I mean the Capitol Wrestling Center. It's God, God damn it! Get your shit together, people. Anyway, but yeah, that's that's it for the wrestling news. But yes, let's talk about uh, some some uh, film reviews that I have uh on tap um two interesting horror films uh two interesting black horror films uh one one of which is available on netflix and the other is available on hulu the first one i'll get into which is the netflix feature which came out on october 30th of this year it's called his house whose house his house um, this one is uh, the directorial debut uh, by Remy Weeks, and it stars uh, Wunmi Mosaku and Sobe Derisu um, and uh, Matt Smith. Uh, so uh, this, is, this is an interesting film. Uh, His House, it's a, it's a story uh, about two uh, South Sudanese refugees, and there are a couple, uh, 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 a, a guy named Bol and the woman named Rial. And Bol and Rial, they're a South Sudanese couple that that they're fleeing their war torn country to seek a better life in England. And after surviving a harrowing journey where they lost their daughter at sea, um, Bol and Rial eventually arrive at their new home in Britain. And which is a, in in their new home, you know, after a period of you know being detained in immigration, uh, their new home is like this ramshackle, run down house in the projects, which is somewhere on the outskirts of of town probably on the outskirts of London and so they're trying to adjust it to their new home and their new home is like totally dilapidated it's full of like peeling wallpaper holes in the walls just trash all outside the front the front uh, uh, lawn suspicious neighbors Um, you know they're trying to adjust to this new homeland this this new life you know to get away from the horrors of war um, but while they're trying to you know get used to their new house, you know malevolent and vengeful spirits come to haunt and torment them every single day and so the movie his house it's a it's a very well constructed horror film and it's more so a psychological horror because it it it's more so about how trauma and guilt you know manifest into our biggest monsters so for example you have this character bowl who's the husband and you know he's unlike his wife he's he's acclimating more to you know to to, the, to their new homeland he's acclimating more to british culture you know there's there's a scene where he goes to this pub and he's like chanting alongside the other british fans watching a soccer game um he like he he starts like eating uh, his food with his, with utensils. Normally uh they like to normally typically like they eat to, to traditionally eat, you know, food with their hands, but he's, he's trying to get his wife to eat with utensils. Um You know, he's, and he's trying, and it's clear that, you know, in his, in his, uh in his, you know, attempts to assimilate and just get used to it on a fatter, faster rate, more so than his wife, he, there's a lot of pain that's following him. It's like just a, just, you know breathing down his neck but he's trying to to deny that it's even there and meanwhile his his wife you know she's having a harder harder time getting used to britain um there's a scene too where uh she's looking for this uh, a clinic a local clinic and she's walking around this neighborhood she doesn't know where she is and she comes across this group of black teenagers and she figures okay you know you know black teenagers okay skin folk means equals folk. let me ask them where I need to go and when she does they they mock her relentlessly they mock her accent they they tell her oh go back to Africa or hey we speak English over here which Oh my God that that was that was a really sad moment and it was really anger inducing because it's like Oh my God really you black and I was like you black kids yeah you might be British citizens and all that but you know you're making fun of yourselves when you're making fun of your own people all right so what the fuck and you know she's getting used to that she's she, she's dealing with that and um, every single night apparently um, Bowl uh, is in particular is v- visited by these. By these malevolent spirits, like um, he starts hearing uh, voices in the walls. He starts seeing like uh, this this young girl walking back and forth, who he thinks is his daughter. Um, and then he sees like a, a shadowy figure run inside the wall. And then like he's reaching in, and then and then all of a sudden like he's like he's going mad. So he starts like breaking down, punching holes into, into the wall of his living room, and um and like the and and as the nights. Pre- as the nights go on like he starts to become even more mad he starts to become even more unraveled and like whatever's eating him is is like really manifesting and making the horror worse and what's interesting too is that his wife initially is actually not if not necessarily welcoming uh to the to the to this presence she's more tolerant of these ghosts in fact she jokes at one point that oh a witch is invading our house and she tells one of the uh british caseworkers immig- the british immigrant caseworkers who comes by their house she just t- calmly tells them oh we have a witch invading our house and they, they don't know what to make of it and so you know she you know she's uh she's dealing with her own uh own grief in in, her, in a different way and and it's and it's so interesting seeing how how the story unfolds because you're not quite sure where it's going but the themes but the themes of trauma and guilt really really play into the horror of the film which is more psychological um i what i also another element that i really like about his house is that it has well done well crafted sound design so there you have you have a few jump scares in the beginning but like every like loud bang or every loud scream or like like the The sound of like footsteps just getting louder and louder and moving at an accelerated pace, like it, like it keeps your it keeps your nerves on end, and so you know, and in and in any good horror film, sound sound design is like a vital element. So the film does a really good job of like using sound to like really um, convey that sense of terror and dread that these characters feel. Um, and and also and also too. it's it's a it's a film that you know really speaks to uh uh themes of immigration. It really speaks to the immigration experience or immigrants' experience um in in the sense that you know you have these two characters who are continuously told by you know immigration authorities by you know by whitey really that you know be one of the good ones and and they keep and they keep being told that be one of the good ones don't be like you know these other other uh, immigrants over here; these other so-called undesirables, you know, be be one of the ones we can point to as the so-called model minority, and they got to deal with that, um, and 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 they deal with some other weird microaggressions too. Like, for example, like one of the uh, British caseworkers says that, "Oh, look at their house; it's even bigger than what I have," which is which is such a weird thing to say. It's like it's such a weird backhanded if it's supposed to be a backhanded compliment or a put down it's like it's like they're implying that oh like you know immigrants shouldn't shouldn't aspire to have more or as much as a citizen if you will and and, and it becomes so arbitrary too but it's it's those, it's those little uh, microaggressions and other horrors that they have to deal with throughout this film and you feel and you really do feel for this couple so um his house uh it's a like i said it's a brand new f- uh film on netflix um if you're a fan of horror if you're a fan of a unique a uh, uniquely crafted uh film that that talks about the immigration experience or, or like the african immigration experience in, in a unique way then this is a film that i highly recommend uh remy weeks he's a, a director and uh and writer and i really want to see more uh work from this filmmaker in the future uh, it's definitely it's definitely something worth checking out. So check it out. His house. It's on Netflix. And uh, speaking of horror, while we are on the horror tip, there is another horror film, uh, which is available on Hulu, and this came out around the same time as as his house at, around the end of October, and this one's actually is actually kind of interesting. It's called Bad Hair in bad hair it's uh written and directed by justin simeon uh he's the creator of dear white people both the feature film and the show that the fi- that the show that the f- the show that the film is uh that the film spawned and so, uh, Justin, Simi- Justin Simeon, uh, he created Bad Hair. And it's a film that stars a, a, an ensemble cast. It stars Elle Lorraine. Uh, she plays the main character, Anne. It also stars Vanessa Williams, uh, Jay Farrow, Lena Waithe, um, Blair Underwood, Yanni King, Laverne Cox, Kelly Rowland, Usher Raymond IV. Yeah, apparently there's four ushers. I did not know that until I saw his name in the credits. Um, Judith Scott and James Vanderbeek. Uh yeah. So, yeah, it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty uh stacked cast and uh the, the 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 film Bad Hair um which is which is available on Hulu. It's it's pretty interesting. Um it takes place in 1989 and Elle Lorraine, L Lorraine, she plays the main character named Anna Anna a And uh Anna is this uh this office assistant at this um television television station called culture which is a which is a tv station featuring black music artists so think of culture as like you know black mtv basically um or you know or bet if you will so you know culture you know get it for for the culture but anyway you know anna she's aspiring to move up in in the company and she has dreams of becoming a vj and you know just a popular on-screen uh presence and so um you know her, her 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 uh, workplace uh her culture the station um they're actually facing they're actually face experiencing a bit of an upheaval as her former boss is actually ousted and replaced by vanessa williams uh this woman named Zora. And Zora has very different ideas of what culture should be, and she wants to make a culture more "quote unquote" accessible with "quote unquote" uni- universal appeal. In other words, she wants to make it more palatable for white audiences, and she's also backed by James Vanderbeek's character, Grant Madison. Um, and so they want to change the identity, the identity of the station. And Anna, meanwhile, she wants to move up ahead. She she wants to move ahead. She wants to impress Zora and also get her ideas off the ground. Um, but, you know, she's told uh, uh, in more ways than one that, you know, her natural hair, her natural, her beautiful Afro textured hair is not going to get her to where she wants to be and where she needs to be. And so she has to she decides to take it upon herself to straighten her hair and get and get a weave. And so she sees she's she she goes to this upscale uh, hair salon called Virgie's, which is uh, headed by uh, Laverne Cox's character, Virgie, who has this like weird kind of like this kind of ghoulish, you know, glam rock look. Going on with her hair and her wild makeup, and so like Laverne Cox, she sews in this weave in Anna's hair, and you know it's 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 nice and long, and you know it's kind of you know it it completely changes her look, and so Zora kind of kind of you know does a double take. It's like okay, okay, you're starting to get the culture, you're starting to you're starting to feel what I'm feeling, you know, from one sister with with weave to another sister with weave. All right, you know, you know, you know what you need to do to To get ahead in this business, you know, you can't be too black, uh, so you gotta get it. You gotta, you gotta play the game. You gotta play the, you gotta play a game, basically. So you know, the weave gets her, gets her, gets Anna in the door, but little does she, little does she know, at least in the beginning, at least in the beginning, that this new weave that Anna has sewn in her head begins to take a life of its own. Um, this weave is actually pretty sentient. And as a matter of fact, her weave has a taste for blood. And soon this movie becomes Attack of the Killer Weave. And yeah, things start to get weird from there. Um. So yeah, Bad Hair, uh, it's a film that has, has a really interesting concept. Um. But the film is a bit all over the shop so it tries to bite off more than it can chew because you have a film that's tackling a multitude of themes all at once with you know varying degrees of focus and success so for example one of the main themes uh in bad hair is you know this this uh politicizing of black women's hair you know you know in, in american culture for example you know afro textured hair which in my view is the most beautiful hair there is and it's also the most versatile you know afro afro textured hair black woman's hair is basically seen as ugly and undesirable by you know white american and white european beauty standards and so the film kind of addresses that a little bit um it also addresses uh you know uh, another aspect of the politicizing of black women's hair where black women are pressured or to or or rather they choose to straighten or some rather choose to straighten their hair in order to get ahead professionally, which is at great physical and economic expense because these weaves are, these weaves are freaking expensive, man. I mean, the, the, just the thought of going into a salon and getting hair sewn into your head to the tune of 400 bucks to the tune of a PlayStation five to the cost of a PS five is just nuts to me. Um, but, but but you have but you have a, a case where you know where black women you know unlike white women black women you know they're being pressured or told in more ways than one that they have to go out of their way to straighten their hair and, and drop buku to do that or they have to like put put themselves or subject themselves to like ridiculous physical harm and physical pain by putting all of that chemical shit in their hair which like which will like leave a ball spot or like burn your scalp or something fierce oh my god um like for example the opening scene of this film uh goes back to goes back to a flashback scene where Anne as a kid a young as a young girl and her older cousin you know puts the chemical uh straightener in her hair and after a while it starts to burn and when, while it, it burns so deep that the back of her head leaves a permanent scar and it's like, geez, yo, that's so fucked up. the The fact that you know black women are told that they have to subject subject themselves to that because their hair is not deemed you know pretty enough or professional enough, and it, that's absolute bullshit. I mean, that's it's just it's just a horrible thing, and and for black women to go through that is just absolutely beyond the pale. So the film deals deals with that. Um, there's also the another theme of um, you know the pressure from you know white white uh, employer employers to or in particular, white business heads and media to change the appeal of black central music and culture to something with universal appeal. You know, ch- you know, trying to challenge, trying to target a, a wider demographic, saying that oh, you know, black doesn't black doesn't sell, black isn't profitable. You got to whiten it up. You got to make it more palatable for white audiences. Film deals with that. Um, the film the film also deals with tales of you know black slave folklore. You know, for example, like the. In the film, like her her killer weave, is inspired by a black slave an enslaved people's fable called the Moss Haired Girl, in which this girl's this this slave woman's hair takes a life of its own and kills her masters. Um, the film also deals with workplace sexual politics, you know, through the character of Jay Farrow, who um, who had a th- who had a fling with Anna and Anna thought it was something more. But yet she's she's also bitter because she sees Jay Farrow's character, Julius, who has this really irritating looking high top fade, by the way, she um, he, she sees him sleeping his way to the top, you know. Um. So the film deals with these themes and more all at once. And. And the, and so in, in in a sense the film is is somewhat unfocused because some 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 of the themes get shorter shrift than others, and um and, and the film not only that the film does take does take about half of its runtime to get to, you know the the killer weave, you know in, in, in action. Also like uh, the the film doesn't really go too deep in its themes of like what does black hair what does hair really mean uh for black women because like you have all these other characters like like Lena Waith's character, um, you know, Yanni King and then like her, and then some other uh characters in the film who are who play Anna's coworkers, you know, they look at they look at the the prospect of, you know, being told that they have to change their look. And, you know, the extent the extent of their conflict is, yeah, no, I'm not gonna do that. And that's pretty much it. So Anna's the one the only one that's really that's really wrestling uh with uh having to change your whole identity and makeup in order to get ahead professionally um and and also too um uh like like i said with the film biting off more than it could chew uh the horror the horror isn't as it doesn't have quite the punch that that i expected it to but uh i will say to the film's credit the film does lean into um, it, the the horror aspect when it does happen, and it does go into some interesting directions. Um, for example, like like I mentioned earlier, uh Anna's killer weave takes a mind of its own, so it's kind of like a symbiote on her head. So imagine imagine if Eddie Brock's a uh, symbiote, the Venom symbiote, was on his head. It just took took the form of like a, a of a killer symbiote weave. That's what it is. Well, not really because of the the weave that doesn't grow a mouth. But there's some like interesting scenes. Like for example, um, the the killer weave has a taste for blood. So there's a scene in the film where Anna she's on her period and she's oh she's in the bathroom, and her weave you know slides down into her pants and it starts drinking her her menstrual blood, and then after her weave is done, it slides all the way back up to her head, and she's just like ew gross, and and i and I'm like, yeah that that was that was really weird and it's like. And it's like, damn! And that's just really unsanitary. It's like you 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 you'd want to wash your hair after that, but again, the 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 weave's weakness is water. So if you if you put water in it, you'll damage it, and the weave will resist and it will try to kill you because by putting water in it, you're you're essentially killing it. So so that was a weird scene. Um, let me see there was also there was also um another another interesting scene with um where where anna and zora they confront each other when they realize that they both have the same killer weave and uh i won't i won't i won't explain what happens after that, but I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, You know, Vanessa Williams, you know, she plays it over the top, you know, because, you know, she puts it at the right note basically because she knows that, you know, with, with the, with the premise of this film, you know, she, her character is just like very villainous, very bitchy, very, you know, you know, just, uh, just, you know what, you know, there's nothing that I will, I won't do to get ahead. That's her type of character. And so like the weave kind of plays off the, plays off her, her innate, like her her innate um villainy if you will um there's also a bit of a another interesting element about bad hair which i thought was pretty cool was like there was some interesting body horror elements to it um, for example, like in the scene where Anna gets her hair gets the weave sewn in by Laverne Cox, there's like extreme close-ups of the weave like being sewn directly into the into the flesh of her scalp. So like she's drawing blood as her weave is being sewn into her head. Now I'm pretty sure that women don't have the 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 sewing like in their actual flesh. If so, then god damn that is fucked up. Um, but the fact that like it, it can, it, you see, you see those extreme close-ups it conveys, you know, just, just the amount of, um, pain and the amount of just, just physical torture or for lack of a better word or labor that, you know, black women have, have subject themselves to either by choice or otherwise in order to achieve, a uh, uh, some, some weird, some, some, uh, weird standard of beauty um but yeah uh bad hair it's a film that um i think i think by and large it, it's it's okay um it's it's not it's not a bad film uh but the film could have been more focused if it if it if it honed in on at least at least one or two of its themes and if it leaned into the horror a bit more or a bit earlier in the film that it did um I will say that I did appreciate the film's visual style. It's it was shot on film. I th- perhaps I don't know if it was shot on sixteen millimeter, but it does have that look. It has that rich grainy look, which is what I appreciate. Um, um, because like you know, I, I get a little tired of seeing the you know the Netflix glossy sheen, no grain, just all dig- digital look. Um, so to see a, a film with like real film grain to it, um, with real texture, I do appreciate. So. So, I, so that does have it going for it. Um, I will say that the a couple things before I, before I move on. Um, one of the things that I found weird about Bad Hair was that there were some cutaway scenes where it showed Blair Underwood's character, who plays this like this black studies professor, who's Anna's uncle. It shows him, and it shows Anna's aunt and her cousin. In these like weird cutaway scenes where they're all dressed in like this Afrocentric or African garb and they're sitting at a dinner table, and it basically looks like a hotep feast. Basically, it looks like a hotep dinner, and the film never really explains what those cutaways meant. So it was like, okay, I'm not really following what this is about, how it ties into the overall narrative, and also too, without spoilers, the ending of the film I thought was completely unearned. I thought that the ending was okay there was not there was there wasn't really anything that was really hinting that that this is where it was going and i don't think and and i don't think i don't think that the film needed that kind of ending that kind of twist ending if you will um because like there wasn't really anything in the narrative to really support that but overall i will say that bad bad hair um it's okay um, it, it is worth the watch just just for the curiosity factor alone and for the premise alone um, I, I do I, I, I will say that between uh, bad hair and his house, his house is the superior uh, black horror feature and that's the one that I would recommend over bad hair but taken as a whole, uh, bad hair is something that you know you, you know you can check out you know if you're really bored and want to you know see something a little bit different and if you're a horror fan. So that was so that's the uh the rundown for those uh two films. Um moving on here, um it is the month of November and you know what that means, and I can see Carl completely rolling his eyes at that. Um this month, as I mentioned earlier, is Barnes and Noble's Criterion Collection sale. Ugh, oh, this is the month that you know makes me so moist it's a it's 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 just a cornucopia of great films great cinema 50 percent off uh of classics just lovingly restored um i so far i've managed to get three i have three right here i've ordered some more and uh, and big shout outs to carl uh thank you for the uh 25 uh, gift card for bars and noble i will put it to good use after this after this episode (laughs) so yes um one of the criterions that i that i have purchased is claudine oh yes so as you can see here criterion took the time to restore uh this uh um john barry directed uh classic from the 70s from 1974 uh starring diane carroll of the late great diane carroll and james earl jones um, this is, this is a wonderful feature. Um, it's a wonderful piece of American cinema and black cinema, black American cinema. Um, this film was, uh, lovingly restored in 4k. Uh, this is not a 4k disc. Um, Criterion doesn't do 4k ultra ultra HD discs, uh, at least not yet. But, um, the film print, um, here is, uh, was restored in 4k. Um, it's a, it's a really, it's a really beautiful film. Um, If you haven't seen it, Claudine is a genuine classic. Um, uh, Diane Carroll was also nominated for uh, Best Actress uh, for this film. She didn't win, but she was nominated. Um, A true classic that deserves to be in anyone's library. So I got that. I also got another uh, classic feature, a screwball comedy classic uh, directed by Preston Sturges, The Lady Eve uh starring Barbara Stanwyck and Henry Fonda. Uh this is a really really funny feature. Um it is it's a it's a it's a great example of the uh, screwball comedy uh genre that Pre- Preston Sturges uh was a master of. Um The Lady Eve, it's it's uh, if you haven't seen this film, it's it's actually it's actually quite wonderful, quite amusing. Um Henry Fonda in playing a, a comic role. Uh Barbara Stanwyck, um you know, she's just a delight to, uh, to watch um I'm really glad that this is on Blu-ray and I'm glad that that it's actually received a restored 4K uh transfer um cuz this is this is actually one of the um earlier Criterion uh, uh releases back in the DVD days so to see this on to see this make its debut on Blu-ray is something to see which is which is um which makes me happy so The Lady Eve is also what I picked up and the third criterion that I picked up so far, I haven't seen this yet, but I've heard a lot of good things about it. It's a film noir piece called Leave Her to Heaven. Um, and I really do like the cover, too. Um, it's directed by John Stahl. And um, apparently, um, just and it stars Cornel Wilde and Gene Tierney. Uh, basically, the film is about uh, a novelist named Richard Harland. And he seems to have found the perfect love in this woman named Ellen, who's like the socialite who uh, who initiates this whirlwind romance between the two. And um, apparently, as as their relationship deepens, uh, Richard comes to find out that Ellen happens to be uh, shockingly possessive and toxic. And he just and he's like, oh shit, what did I get myself into? How do I get out of this relationship? Because she's sticking me for my paper dough. So yeah, um, this one I haven't seen yet, but I've heard a lot of good things about. Um, I will watch this, uh, Leave Her to Heaven. Um, so that's the third Criterion film uh, that I picked up. Like I said, uh, my body is always ready for the Criterion collection. I absolutely adore it. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's gonna be a nice evening. Nice evening. So moving on, um, <laughs> moving on. Just to wrap up our episode, um, we're gonna go. We're gonna get into the our new feature that I debuted uh, last week called the Codex Retrospective. And so you know, now that we're in the month of November, we're gonna you know go back uh, in time to some notable uh, film releases and video games, and even a bit of wrestling this week. Uh, that has happened in the 11th 11th month of the year. And so our first entry in this week's Codex Retrospective takes us back to November 15th, 1996, which saw the theatrical release of Space Jam. Oh, boy. Space Jam. You know, I've gone on record on this podcast by saying that space jam sucks, uh much to the chagrin of Carl Bird and our and our former co-hosts uh Aris Tejeda and Maurice cerulo. Um, I was the uh, odd man out by saying that um I remember um uh Doc Strange, another uh friend <laughs> a friend and acquaintance uh, outside of the show, sent us a sternly worded email uh that took umbrage. At my opinion of Space Jam but I'm gonna but I'm here to tell you once again that if you are one of these people of a certain age who grew up in the 90s as I have and if you believe that Space Jam is a childhood classic that still holds up I'm here to tell you that you are wrong you are unequivocally wrong You are wrong to say you are incorrect, rather, mistaken, misguided, hoodwinked, bamboozled, run astray, run amok, to fix your lips, to say that Space Jam is a classic that still holds up to this day, because it is not. It is not. When you take a look at live action slash animated features that still hold up, I look at Who Framed Roger Rabbit. That is a classic. I still love that film. That is one of my all-time favorite films. I watch it now, still holds up. Still as funny, still as charming as ever. I look at Mary Poppins, starring Dame Julie Andrews, Dick Van Dyke. That film still holds up 55 years later. Okay? That's a film. Those are two films, two masterpieces that that have that have perfectly that are the perfect Uh, marriage of live action and animation space jam it does not belong in that category you want to know what space jam is space jam is not really a movie space jam is a marketing ploy Space Jam is a 90-minute-long advertisement designed to sell kids Air Jordans and Looney Tunes merchandise. Space Jam is the cinematic equivalent of jangling your keys in front of an infant in order to amuse them, in order to get their attention. That's what Space Jam is. I mean, Space Jam it, it suffers from thin characterization. I mean, the character of Lola Bunny... Who is Lola, Lola Bunny? Do we l- really learn anything about her? No. She's just a hot bunny that uh that the other Looney Tunes lust over and go gaga over, and that's it. There, there's there's nothing to her character. What are we supposed to get get, get out of her character? N- nothing and also you have and 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 you know what notice notice how notice how i haven't even you know talked about michael jordan because you know what to be fair to be completely fair nothing wrong with michael jordan in in space jam because you know michael jordan he's not he's not an actor michael jordan what he is is he's the greatest basketball player of all time fact an actor he is not and so for michael jordan a a non-actor you know he 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 was what he was. He basically on set he was acting to nothing. He was reacting to nothing, so basically the director was like, "Hey, you know what? You, you know what? MJ, be you, be, be Mike, be Air Jordan. Uh, we're we're gonna draw all this shit around you anyway in post. So you know, just be yourself. Just 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 say words." And so you know, he did what he did, you know, and it is what it is, and. And you know, yeah the 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 film Space Jam it doesn't it doesn't hold up. However, I will say that the one good element about Space Jam and I have said this before is the soundtrack. The soundtrack for Space Jam is terrific. You've got some good gems on there. You've got Fly Like an Eagle uh by Seal. You got Hit 'em High, you know, featuring B-Real of um Cypress Hill, Buster Rhymes, Method Man, Coolio and LL Cool J. And you got the title song Space Jam by the Quad City DJs. That that's actually that's actually a pretty cool song. They actually get, it actually kinda gets you hype a little. Um then and there's also a, a, a song by some by some pedophile. Um what's it called? Um I think I can I think I can soar. Um something like that. I, I forget the name of that song. But anyway, besides that, besides that one last besides that one song, the soundtrack for Space Jam is pretty terrific. I will give it credit for that. But but yeah don't at me just 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 take just take solace in the fact that i'm right about this and you're not so moving on um november 7th 1997 saw the release of a modern classic in black cinema eve's bayou now eve's Bayou. this is a film that i wish that uh criterion would get their hands on and restore. If not Criterion, then maybe some other boutique label like uh, Kino Lorber. Uh, Eve's Bayou uh, that is the debut feature of Casey Lemons. Uh, modern classic, wonderful films. It stars, you know, Journey Smollett, Making Good, Samuel L. Jackson, Casey Lemons, um, Debbie Morgan, Vondi Curtis-Hall, and, of course, Diane Carroll, who plays the witch doctor in this film. Um it's a it's like a down south southern gothic Louisiana tale. Um if you haven't if you're not familiar with Eve's Bayou, um please go out of your way to watch to watch this. It is a great film. Um Roger Ebert actually hailed uh Eve's Bayou as his favorite film, his number one film of nineteen ninety seven, and for good reason. So check it out. Eve's Bayou is a classic. Uh, moving on uh, into the world of video games, uh, we're going back to November nineteenth, nineteen ninety eight, which saw the release of Half Life, uh, released for the Windows PC. Um, this was the this was the the video game that brought Valve, the developer Valve, to the dance. Um, Half-Life is a classic first-person shooter. Um, it gave us the iconic Gordon Freeman, who, who's, the, who's an iconic silent protagonist in video games, as well as the uh, unsettling villain antagonist G-Man. Um, Half-Life was very unique for its time because it, it, was, it, it offered a seamless narrative so it was like the gaming gaming equivalent of one long take on film so as you're going through, as you're going through this environment it's just like one long one long take one long uh huge envir- environment broken up with low times in between and um uh, you're you experience everything through gordon freeman's perspective so you get the whole narrative of like how uh the black mesa facility um you know falls into chaos because of the a resonance cascade a crisis which which unleashes untold cosmic monsters on this black mesa base and gordon freeman is like this uh this physicist this scientist that can stop is the only one that can stop them stop these monsters um half-life it's 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 one of the most influential uh, first-person shooters and also one of the most influential video games ever made um it inspired many fan mods um that became full games in their in their own right most notably counter strike uh, counter strike was is a popular series that started off as a half-life mod um and you know looking at looking at half-life if there was ever a movie that was uh based on half-life and I know you can get into the whole you know movies based on video games uh, curse but if done right I would I would like to see a Half-Life movie starring uh, Christopher Walken as the G-Man because when you listen to... Uh, and, and, because, and the reason why I say that is because when you listen to the G-Man speak in both Half-Life and Half-Life 2, he has this very um, statico-stilted, unsettling delivery, which is pretty creepy. So he, so he kind of sounds like... <clears throat> so if if it was Christopher Walken, you know, he would, he would sound like, you know rise and shine mr freeman rise and shine baby (laughs) yeah well that was uh, that was my christopher walken impression but yeah like he kind of sounds like a creepier christopher walken so um that would be my pick my casting pick if a half if a half-life movie was ever made uh but yes uh november 1998 saw the release release of half-life and not only that 2 days later on November 21st, 1998, saw the release of The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time on the N64. And oh my gosh, like this is my favorite N64 game of all time. And in my opinion, I have not played Breath, Breath of the Wild, but until I do, until I actually sit down and play that game, I will sit here and say that Ocarina of Time is the greatest Zelda game ever made, and it rightfully is. Also known as one of one of the greatest video games ever ever made. Um, I remember, you know, pouring so many hours into that game. I, I beat that game like, let's say, two or three times. Um, it, it was just an incredible feature. It made the most of the N sixty four. It for me that was the magnum opus of the Zelda franchise it had a you know just like just the amazing world building like from the from the forest and from the forest uh from the first forest that you that you um that you play as as young link and then once you di- once you discover the master sword uh you become you play as adult link playing in a in a devastated hyrule and he get to travel through time back and forth as old as adult link and kid link and you get to use different items um to to uh to navigate your environment it was it was such a gorgeous game for its time and it still is and um another another great thing about ocarina of time was its score it's 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 uh soundtrack uh which was uh created by koji kondo um it was a ocarina of time has it has a very be- beautiful score um, one of my favorite pieces, pieces in the game is, um, the, the Zora temple where you visit the, 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 aqua- those aquatic, uh, uh, peoples, um, the, 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 the musical score for, for that particular, uh, portion of the game is actually one of my, is actually my, my personal favorite piece, um, in, 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 uh, Ocarina of Time, but yes, uh, but yeah, uh, but it's actually pretty remarkable when you look at it, when you look at um, November 19 and, t- and November 21 98, you had two classics two two video games that uh, went on to influence and redefine uh, vi- the video games medium uh, for years to come. And speaking of video games, uh, November 17, 2000, and also another shout-outs to to my co-host, Carl Bird, for bringing this up because I almost forgot to add this. Uh, November 17, 2000 saw the release of WWF No Mercy on the N64. Um, No Mercy, it's still my favorite wrestling video game of all time as well as uh, for many others and for very good reason. Um, The gameplay and the game engine is just pitch perfect. Um, very simple to get into, uh, pick up and play. Everyone controls the same way. The grappling system is just is just absolutely addictive. Um, the creator wrestler uh, mode uh, was was pretty in depth for its time. Um, uh, just playing and and, and the roster and the roster too. Oh my god, that was that was peak Attitude Era. I mean, you could not you cannot mess with the roster of WWF No Mercy from from The Rock, Stone Cold, Kurt Angle, Chris Jericho, the Dudleys, the Hardys, um, APA, uh, D'Lo Brown, Mark Henry, um, (laughs) even uh, Shawn Michaels. He was a secret character. You even got to play as Vincent Shane McMahon or Linda McMahon, uh, one of Godfather's hoes. (laughs) The, the, The game had it all, man. And my God, yo, No Mercy no mercy for me that was one of the crown jewels of of wrestling video games and to this very day you know you have dedicated fans that are still making mods for that game which you can download and play on your on your computer if you have a n64 mod or emulator if you will so I've seen like mods that have like updated rosters so you can play as like, you know, AJ Styles or, or like Drew McIntyre, you know, or, Ro- or Roman Reigns, oh using the No Mercy engine and it's and it's just absolutely incredible. Um I would you know, I it, it, it makes me think that, you know, I really do want to see what this new AEW video game brings to the table. I know it's developed by Ux, um but if um if if the new aew game can bring back that that same um high quality and timeless gameplay that no mercy still brings to this day then we are in for an absolute treat when that game comes out so fingers crossed that no that uh, the new aew game can become this new generation's no mercy and i know that's i know that's a tall order but we shall wait and see and finally um just to wrap up uh here we have two more we have two uh wrestling related uh codex retrospectives. Um this week uh November 13th 2005 uh marks the 15 year anniversary of the untimely passing of the late great Eddie Guerrero. Um, Eddie Guerrero uh you know I I remember I remember being a massive fan of WCW getting into WCW in in 1997 and when I started watching WCW um one of the thing one of the things that immediately jumped out to me was the Cruiserweight division and there were three athletes that immediately stood out to me when I watched WCW there was uh Dean Malenko who was actually my favorite favorite wrestler in WCW uh Rey Mysterio Jr. and Eddie Guerrero and seeing Eddie's work in WCW uh, when he was uh, started off as like the clean cut baby face to becoming the heel persona with uh, cheat to win, um, it was it was actually really cool, and you know, and you look at Eddie Eddie Guerrero's career, you know, just absolutely accomplished, just you know, WW, you know, from a wcw cruiserweight champion and united states champion to you know wwf european champion Continental champion tag team champion and then finally the wwf champion but when he defeated brock lesnar at no way out 2004 which for me was one of the best matches of eddie guerrero's career i mean it, it, i mean it was just absolutely incredible truly one of the greatest uh, professional wrestlers that we've ever seen and um, i wish eddie guerrero was still here with us um it would be and and sometimes i think you know if, if eddie was still with us you know would we see how cool would how cool would it have been to see eddie guerrero you know walking out with ray mysterio today as they mentor dominic mysterio to see dominic mysterio you know with with his father ray and his other father eddie in this in in the same corner rooting rooting on their son that that would be absolutely incredible you know but you know Eddie Guerrero, you know one of the greatest of all time, gone but will never be forgotten. Um yeah, man, gone too soon, but you know, we all the we always have the memories. And last but not least, uh no, we're going back to more recent times, November 19, 2016, NXT takeover Toronto, which had my my favorite match of that year, 2016, DIY, Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano versus um, The Revival, Scott Dawson and Dash Wilder. Now, this match, this this match was, this match for me was my, not only my favorite match of 2016, but also when you look at when you look at the chemistry that DIY and uh the revival uh you know created in that match like i actually had the chance to watch the match um recently and man that that toronto crowd came alive like There were so many great near falls it was a two out of three falls tag team match for the nxt tag team championship so the revival they came in as as the defending champions and so the revival they actually won the first fall after performing the shatter machine on johnny gargano and then the second fall diy won when they um performed a running knee super kick on, on on scott dawson and then the match ended with like the perfect ending for this tag team match where you had DIY put put the revival in two submissions and then you had uh the revival reach out for each other and they're and they're locking each other's hands to prevent each other from tapping out but then the pain is too much so that they're both tapping out simultaneously and then the crowd absolutely exploded when DIY Gargano and Champa won the NXT tag team uh, championships that was absolutely incredible that was for me my match of the year for 2016 and also you know the 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 nxt takeover toronto the rest of the matches were no slouch you had samoa joe in the main event beat shinsuke nakamura to win the nxt championship um you had um oscar beating mickey james who was just coming back from after many years out of wwe in a really in a very good women's tag women's uh championship match um yeah Uh, this was this was one of the this was one of the best takeovers uh that was that was uh that was released and that's saying a lot because there were a lot of great takeover shows that you can say the same thing about and as a matter of fact i'm gonna put this challenge out there for all of our viewers um, and listeners for me the diy versus revival match from nxt takeover toronto not only not only was that an excellent match, but for me that was w that was the single best tag team match in WWE in the past ten years. So from two thousand ten to all the way to today, there is not one tag team match in WWE programming from 2010 to now that is better than DIY versus the revival and if you disagree, I challenge you to find a match. A tag team match on WWE programming, including NXT, that's better than DIY versus Revival. Go back to 2010 all the way to now. Find a find a tag team match that's better than that in WWE. You're it's an impossible task. Let me just let me just put it. Let me just save let me just save you the trouble. Don't do it. It's impossible. Challenge is laid down. <laughs> All right, so uh, as I'm talking here, um, I'm, oh, I haven't had a chance to scroll through the comments here, uh, so I'm scro- scrolling through the comments. Um, Carl Carl Burr says, "I love her." in In response to his COVID-denying, uh, TV Bay Nia Jax, Carl, do better. Um, John Haponik says that uh, I should watch Over the Moon. That's a happy movie. I will, I will check it out. I will look, I will look it up. Um, John is also, uh, curious as to how many Criterion editions I have. Um, I'm looking at my shelf right now. I would say, like, maybe between 150, 175 Criterions I have. Um... Let me see. Uh, John Murray says, I mean, John Murray, John Apani says in in regards to space jam, Bill Murray had an awesome cameo though. He did. Can't hate on Bill Murray. Um, Jim Savard uh, has left a few comments here. He says, dude, when you need a guest, let me know. I will be sure to let you know. Um, He says that I am so sexy when I get riled up about space jam. Why? Thank you, Jim. That, 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 it's, it's so nice. It's so nice to, to, to be recognized, to have my beauty uh, recognized in that way. Uh, drive through New York recently. No, Jim. I'm not going to get another $600 speeding ticket. Uh, sausage pizza is the best. Uh, space toe jam. You're ignoring me, LOL. Yeah, sorry, Jim. I, again, I did not get a chance to read the comments uh, th- throughout this episode. But yes, thank you to everybody who's been watching and, and listening to uh, this this year uh, this year edition of Victor's Corner. Um, that's pretty much it. Um, as well, uh, thank you so much for watching and listening. You can catch all of our all of our episodes of Victor's Corner and the Codex Prime podcast on Facebook Live, uh, just about every week. On Tuesday evenings, you can also catch us on social media, uh, Facebook as well as Twitter at Codex Prime Cast. Um, you can also uh, view uh, or listen to all of our episodes on Spotify, iTunes, uh, where you can hit us up with that five star review, Google Play, and wherever you can find pod- podcasts. Oh, including iHeartRadio. And lastly, you can follow me on social media on Twitter and Instagram. At Victor Omoyo and on my Instagram every Friday I include I introduce a do the film thing Friday's feature where I highlight four unique films uh, from filmmakers of color as well as uh, international and independent features so yes that, that about wraps it up for Victor's Corner um tune in next Tuesday where I will get into Lovecraft Country Um, So I'm going to take some time to finish that show uh, this this week, and I will come back with my non-spoiler review of Lovecraft Country for next week. So tune in for that, as well as a new edition of the Codex Retrospective. So as always, thank you so much for watching and listening. As always, I will catch you on the flip. Peace out, nerds.